In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight is Psalm 87. And actually this psalm we chanted during the Holy Great Fast before the absolution of the servant on uh, the weekdays of the fast. So actually it is beautiful to study this psalm tonight while we're going to start the Great Fast on Monday, God willing. Each psalm has a title and the title of this psalm is a psalm of the son of Korah, a song. Who are the son of Korah? They were Levites from the family of Kohat. And by David's time, they served in the musical aspect of the temple, as well as they were the temple gatekeeper. And they were bakers also. So three things actually they served in. They were gatekeepers in the musical aspect of the temple worship and also as bakers. Korah, their grand-grand-grandfather, led a rebellion of 250 community leaders against Moses during the wilderness day of the Exodus because he wanted to be priest and he was jealous from Aaron why God chose Aaron's family to be the family of priesthood we also can be priests and God judged Korah and his leaders and they all died as we read in the book of Numbers chapter 16 verse 32 the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together but sons of Korah did not die they remained as we read in the same chapter, Numbers 26, verse 11, nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. And their name came as the sons of Korah in ten psalms, in ten psalms. So they are grand, grand, grandchildren of Korah. But some think that this psalm might have been sent to them to be sung because they were in charge of the musical aspect of the temple worship. So maybe another author composed the psalm, wrote the psalm, and sent it to them just to chant it. Or maybe only one of them is the author of the psalm, not all of them. If one wrote it and sent it to them, this can be David. And David knew that from God that his son Solomon will build the temple. So he chanted this psalm in a prophetic way, seeing the temple will be built by his son Solomon. Others think that it was written by one from those who returned from Babylon captivity, who wrote it for the comfort of those who wept at the laying of the foundation of the second temple, because the first temple was uh, knocked down so while they were laying the foundation of the second temple they were crying so this psalm was composed to comfort them or it was written according to the children of Korah to encourage their faith and hope when Zion was in ruins and was to 
be rebuilt after captivity because not only the temple but the whole city was in ruin some think it was written to express the joy of God's people when Zion was in a flourishing state not after captivity but while Zion was in a flourishing state so people composed this psalm and chanted however from a prophetic point of view this psalm is written in praise of Jerusalem but what's Jerusalem? Jerusalem is the Christian church Jerusalem can refer to the Christian church can refer to the heavenly Jerusalem or can refer to Saint Mary, Mother of God as we will explain Psalm 87 is among the Psalms that they are often called Psalms of Zion Psalms of Zion These Psalms describe the importance and the glory of Jerusalem, the city of God Also Psalm 87 celebrates the glories of the heavenly city, heavenly Jerusalem the New Jerusalem, the Church of our Lord Jesus Christ The psalm is not only reminding us of a city that was Jerusalem but no, the city is to come, the heavenly Jerusalem, the eternal life with Christ It is a reminder that God established Jerusalem and there is a sense in which his plan for this city is not yet complete because Jerusalem was just a symbol, a type for heavenly Jerusalem and the psalmist is encouraging us to look forward to a future city where God will once again dwell with his people as we read in the book of Revelation when John saw Jerusalem as a bride prepared or adorned for her bridegroom he said this is the dwelling of God with his people so this psalm is a prophecy of the return again prophecy of the return of all nations to the church of Christ the Gentiles will return and become members in the church of Christ it looks forward to the time when Gentiles Gentiles mean non-Jewish people shall no longer be, as St. Paul said, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel but they will be fellow citizens with the saints and members of the house of God This psalm also can call to mind the hymn of the book of Isaiah who saw all the nations converging towards Zion to hear the word of the Lord and to rediscover the beauty of peace beating their swords instead of using swords in, in war they beating their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and as I told you the Coptic Church prayed this psalm in the liturgy during the weekdays of the Holy Great Fast just before the absolution of the servants and it is sung in Coptic Nefsinti. And this psalm is also one of the six hour psalms. Why we chant it in the Holy Great Fast and also in the sixth hour? This psalm speaks about our being born again in the Church of God. 
and now we become citizens in the Church of God. How this actually became possible for us, the Gentiles, who were aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel, through the salvation that was fulfilled in the sixth hour. That's why you pray the psalm in the sixth hour of the Agbayim. And as you know, repentance is called the second baptism. And during the great fast, we actually, the church, encourage us to think about our repentance and return back to God. So to be born again in baptism and in repentance, that's why it is mentioned in the sixth hour of Agbaya because being born again and our sins are forgiven in repentance, this was possible through the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Also, the sixth hour is prayed to commemorate the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of the whole world, both Jews and Gentiles. And as we will see, how this psalm speak about how Gentiles now became fellow citizens. It is a very short psalm, only seven verses. From verse 1 to 3, the beloved city of God. 4 to 6, people of the city of God, who are the citizens of the city of God. Verse 7, last verse, the joy of the city of God. So let's start from verse 1. His foundation, God's foundation, is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, Sina. Simply, in Zion there was a temple, and God chose the temple to live there. That's why it said his foundation in the holy mountain. And Zion was a mountain in the holy mountain. And since God dwells there, that's why he loved the gates of Zion more than the dwellings of Jacob. And glorious things are spoken of Zion, or city of God. As I told you, city of God can refer to us, can refer to the church, can refer to St. Mary, can refer to the heavenly Jerusalem. So as the psalm begins, we are reminded of the historic city of Jerusalem, a city founded by God himself as the place where he would dwell among his people. Definitely the whole earth belonged to the Lord. So why we say about Jerusalem, city of God, or we say about church, house of God. Because God wanted to separate a certain city from the rest of the world, or separate a certain place like the church from the rest of the world. One. So this place will remind us with heaven, with the paradise of joy. So we make it holy. We don't sin in this place. So once we enter this place, as if we are in the paradise, in the heaven. As we say in the litanies of the third hour, when we stand in your holy sanctuary, we are considered standing where? In heaven. 
So God separated Zion, which is a symbol of the church and symbol of us, because we are separated from the rest of the world. The word Ekklesia called out. We are separated from the rest of the world. St. Paul said, be separate. No fellowship between light and darkness. So we are separated. In order to be holy, and this place should be holy. Yes, the whole earth belongs to God. But this place in particular is holy. And we should keep it holy. Holiness becomes your house, O Lord. That's why he has a special regard for Jerusalem, and he called it Holy Mountain. Also, God's foundation is in Jerusalem, historically, because Jerusalem was the center of his redemptive work. This city was established by God's plan and served as the center of life and faith for his people. He was crucified there. He was buried there. He rose from the dead there. And the city was located on a holy mountain, on a mountain, that's why it became a holy mountain. But I want to differentiate between two things. God did not choose this place because it was holy, no. But it became holy because God chose it. It became holy because God chose it. The church has a foundation so that it cannot sink. Like the Lord said in the Sermon of the Mountain, a wise man built his house on the rock. So the church has foundation. Who is the foundation? Jesus Christ is the foundation. And God has laid this foundation. You are Peter, and upon this rock, what rock? The rock that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I will build my church. That's why God loved Zion herself, meaning the church, meaning the human soul, meaning heaven in Jerusalem, meaning St. Mary. Therefore, has it chosen it for his habitation. It was a place of his rest, and he resided in it. This is the place of my rest where I will dwell. He has found it and said, Christ as king over it, and by whom, by Christ, he has redeemed the church. And he loves those who come to the gates of Zion to worship the Lord, to say, your dwelling are lovely, O Lord of hosts. And it's clear in this psalm that God has a special love for Jerusalem. As he said, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling of Jacob. This city has been set as a part was separated as a special place with a special purpose. Zion is not just another city among many, many cities. No, it is the city that God established for himself and for his people. He chose Zion and he set his love on it as we read in Psalm 132, For the Lord has chosen Zion, he has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell 
for I have desired it. And also we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 to 8, For you are a holy people. I told you we are Zion. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you. So the Lord loves the gates of Zion, loves his children, the believers, more than all the dwelling of Jacob, more than anybody else. God has a special love for Jerusalem, regarding it even more than the rest of the Holy Land. As we read in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 12, And the Lord will take passion of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. And more than the territory of Israel in general, God loved Zion more than all the dwelling of Jacob. St. Jerome said, What are the gates of Zion? The Lord loves the gate of Zion. He said, Gate of Zion refers to the virtues. Because through the virtues, we get into the heavenly Jerusalem. As iniquity and sin are the gates of death. That's why he said, I believe that the gates of Zion are the virtues. But according to St. Paul, Zion refers to the church of the new covenant. As we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 and 23, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, to the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. It is the church whose gates is its teaching. So the gates of the church is the teaching, because through the teaching I enter the church. When I believe in the teaching, then I enter the church. This is why the gates of the church, the teaching, loved by God more than all the dwelling of Jacob. Dwelling of Jacob means or referred to the law of Moses in its literality. The gates of Zion is the teaching of the new covenant. The law of Moses is the dwelling of Jacob in which Israel dwells until now. They still living in the literality of the law of Moses. That's why it's called dwelling. Dwelling like tent because of its temporary status. The city is a special place and it is not secret. And he said, glorious things are spoken of you. So because glorious things are spoken of you, then it is not secret, it's public. And the same verse we said about St. Mary, the mother of God, glorious things are spoken of you, city of God. We say it in uh, Sunday Theotokia and during the month of Kiah. And throughout the scripture we read about the glory of Jerusalem, city of God, 
which to be understood not only the city of Jerusalem literally which was magnificent city and what was most glorious of all that could be said of it but out of all places he could have it chosen God chose that place to center his redemptive work for the whole world so out of the whole world God chose Jerusalem to be crucified to be born there that's why glorious things refer to the glorious doctrines of the Christian church city of God as I told you the church the bride of Christ which he purchased by his own blood glorious things as we read in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 a chosen generation royal priesthood holy nation his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people but now you are the people of God and as the Lord said to Peter the gates of Hades shall not prevail against the church that's why glorious things are spoken of you O city of God city of God is Saint Mary also in whose womb the word of God is incarnate by which she became the second heaven then the word Selah at the end of verse 3 Selah Selah is a pause for contemplation so the psalmist pause here for contemplation on the beauty of the church where God dwells verse 4 to 6 I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me behold O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia this one was born there what does this mean? As we look back at the city of Jerusalem in the Old Testament, the citizens of that city were only the people of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people living in the holy city. But in verse 4 and 6, we see the psalmist with a prophetic eye pointing toward a new era, the new covenant, a time when people from all nations will be identified as born in Zion so people from Rahab, Rahab is Egypt and Babylon will know him and will be born there Philistia, Tyre, Ethiopia they will say these people, this one born there in Zion born there because we are baptized in Zion we are born again in the church of God so now it's not only the Jewish people who are citizens of the Church of God but anyone who believes in Christ and born again in the Church is in the family of God who is speaking in verse 4? God himself is speaking in verse 4 so the Almighty is introduced as making a revelation to the Psalmist who wrote this Psalm and God will cause the Gentiles to flock into his church even those who have been previously the most bitter enemies of Israel and will place these nations equally with such as have belonged to his church from their birth 
equal citizens, admitting them to every blessing and every privilege. Rahab, referring to Egypt, so called for its strength and pride and sometimes violence. And the reason why this name was given to Egypt is not known. Some people think possibly it can be a Coptic term for some large sea or river monster symbolic of Egypt. Babylon, a great empire with authority and was a competitor of Egypt, Egypt in the south and Babylon in the north. And Israel was often caught in between two of them, Babylon and Egypt. So God promised that even among the enemies, there would be those who know me. The Egyptians will know me. The Babylonians will know me. Those who have true relationship with God. Then behold, not only Rab and Babylon, but Philistia, Tyre and Ethiopia. And God said, behold, behold, look. So God points as it were to each of these nations in succession and says, these people are born there, born in Zion. They are grafted into Zion. They have their second birth. They are born again in Zion, in the church. And this divine order, each of them is provided with full rights and privilege of citizenship as though they had been born in Zion. So when we are born again into Christianity, we have all the rights of the citizens. So he mentioned five nations, Egypt, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, Ethiopia, are mentioned here as among the best known nations and cities during that time. So as places where it would commonly be regarded as honor to be have born there. So yeah, during that time, people said, I am born in Egypt, I am born in Babylon, I am born in Tyre, I am born in Ethiopia. These were, or uh, Philistia, these were actually, yani, take pride being born there. So people would pride themselves on the fact they were born there. And the world would hold them in reverence just because he is born in one of these cities. However, the honor of having been born in Zion is far above being born of this city. So it conveys the idea of much higher distinction. So even the people who were born in Egypt or Ethiopia or Philistia or Tyre or Babylon will pride themselves they are born again in the Church of God. And it is God's purpose to reconcile all the nations to himself. Egypt, it is the world power of the South, ancient and hereditary enemy of God's people during the time of Joseph and Moses. Babylon, the world power of the north. So we have Egypt in the south, Babylon in the north, the cruel oppressor of later times. Philistia, hostility with Israel until now, by which Israel had so often been pursued. Tyre, this prideful city, arrogant representative of commerce and wealth. Ethiopia, that's distant, but it was very famous for its unwavering warriors. So, 
all these cities and others will be brought to recognize God as their God. All shall be incorporated into the commonwealth of Israel, spiritual Israel, not uh, earthly Israel. So, verse 4 is a promise and invitation to the Gentile world. Promise you will be fellow citizens, an invitation to accept Christ. They could be accounted by God as the privileged one who was born there in Zion when we accept Christ and baptize it. So God will count us as being born there. And of Zion, it will be said. Sometimes we say, Mother Zion, in according to Septuagint, Mother Zion says, this one and that one were born in here. So the Mother Zion, the church, will say, this one and that one, the Egyptian and the Ethiopian, Philistia and Babylon, Tyre, they are born in the church now. She is the mother of all. And the Most High Himself shall establish her. So they could be regarded as citizens of Jerusalem and be registered among God's people. In a spiritual sense, it can be said of the one who is born again through baptism, this one is born there. So it's clear that God's plan for salvation extends beyond Israel to the whole world. God's plan is to save people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. People from all nations will be identified as those who have Zion as their spiritual birthplace. All of us who say the church is my mother and who are born in the church. In verse 5, and of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself shall establish her. The psalmist speak, echoing the divine decree from Zion's point of view. So, God spoke in verse 4. Now the church speak, Mother Zion says, and say the same words that God said. So, echoing what God said in verse 4 dwelling upon the honor which will add to Zion by the admission of all these people to be citizens of Zion. So, not merely certain specified nations, but all nations shall call Zion their mother city. And it will be honor to any person to have been born in Zion. But how great is the honor to be born from above and to be a citizen of Jerusalem, this from above. To be children of God, to be one in the member in the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ. This one and that one were born in her. This one and that one means men of all sorts and of all different nations, Jews and Gentiles, great numbers of them. And not as nations, but as individuals, one by one, we became citizens in the New Jerusalem and will be counted. Some father said, and actually in our liturgical, when we say this one was born in her, refer to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the word of God, who grants the believer the adoption and spiritual birth, himself is incarnate for our sake in Zion. So if we speak about Jerusalem, he was born there. If Zion is St. Mary, he is born from her. 
St. Augustine says, He, Christ, was born in her. It is then the man who was born in her, and he himself has founded her. So he's asking a question. How can be born in the city which he himself founded? How he founded the church and then, or the city, and then he is born in the city. It had already been founded that therein he might be born. So as creator, as God, he already founded the, the city, but in the fullness of time, he was born as human being. Understand it thus, St. Augustine explained. As he created a mother, St. Mary, of whom he would be born, so he founded a city in which he would be born. As he created St. Mary and he was born from her, in the same way he founded the city and was born in the city. What hope is our brethren? What I can benefit from this? On our behalf, the Most High, who founded the city, addresses that city as mother, and he was born in her, and the Most High has founded her. So if God addresses the city as mother, then we take pride to address the church as our mother, and we take pride that we are born again in the church. Verse 6 is beautiful. The Lord will record when he registers the people, this one was born there. So everyone is baptized as if God has the book of life. And then once a person is baptized, the Lord will record when he registers his people and will say, this person was born there. This person is born there. So. The citizenship and birthright is declared and recorded by God himself. It is he who registers the people. God holds his census of the nations and writes their names down in his book. One after another of them he registers as born in Zion. He was baptized in the church. It is the official confirmation of the right of citizenship. God himself will honor those are born there. And in Jesus Christ, every believer can have the privilege of registration in Zion, of being a citizen of the heavenly city of God. As St. Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven. St. Paul speaks of heavenly Zion and our registration there. But you have come to Mount Zion, city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of firstborn who are registered in heaven. So everyone is born in the church is considered firstborn. That's why it's called the church of the firstborn. Everyone is considered, you know why he considered firstborn? Because Jesus is the firstborn. And I am born not as individual, but as a member in the body of Jesus. And since he is the firstborn, I am also firstborn, because I am a member in the body of Jesus Christ. Also, St. Paul noted in Galatians chapter 4.26, Jerusalem above is free, which is mother of us all. When St. Jerome sees the Lord prepare his disciple, 
to record the good news in the holy books. And he says, Saint Jerome, he said what? Plato wrote books yet for a few, not to all peoples. But what the heads of the church, like the disciples and the apostles, what they wrote, were not for few, but for everyone, with no exception. So the invitation for everyone in the world, no exception. And again, Silah, as I told you after verse 6, pause for contemplation. So with the scene before him, people coming from all nations and identified as citizens of Zion, even the most cruel, merciless enemies, they transform it into friends. That's why it was fitting and appropriate that Sassan should pause and contemplate on this. Last verse, verse 7. So, verse 7, now he is imagining a procession of all the people entering into, the, into Zion or within Zion. So, both the singers in the beginning of the procession and the player on an instrument. And they are chanting and saying, What? All my springs are in you, springs fountain of life. So the sun ends with a picture of a universal rejoicing procession with which the citizens of Zion greet their mother, they celebrating their mother. And he intends to represent the converted nation as coming in a grand procession where singers go first, followed by those who play on various instruments of music to celebrate their admission into Zion, their mother Zion. And their one and all exclaiming, all my springs are in you, are in Zion. Meaning what all my springs, all my sources of life, all my joy, all my happiness are in Zion, the city of God. Springs refer to spontaneously flowing source of water and to life nourishment and to the goodness they bring to a dry land. So the people of God acknowledge that all they have or ever hope to have, all they attain or ever hope to attain from God is in the church. That's why they praise God for it. Also, the reference to heaven, the true Zion, to the assembling of all who shall have been born in Zion, in heavenly Zion, the eternal life, who shall become citizen of the true Zion, Jerusalem above. St. Augustine says, Amid our journeyings here, we suffer bruises. While we journeying here on earth, we suffer bruises. Our last home in heaven shall be the home of joy alone. Toil and groans shall perish. Prayers pass away, hymns of praise succeed. So prayers pass away means supplication that God relieve us from trouble or only will be praises. Praises reflect the joy. So it's a beautiful psalm. And as I told you, we chanted during uh, the great fast and also during in the six hours of the Agbaya. Me, yani, we can reflect more on the deep meaning of this psalm. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.